This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm Emily Moshek. Only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU. I am J.D. Layton. I am joined in studio by the other news director. I'm Emily Moshak, and we are not Julia Batalese yes, that <laughs> or <was> Gabe Peterson. <laughs> but we accidentally played the little intro from last show, so I just wanted to clear that up in case anyone was confused, but... It's a little throwback um, yeah, a little homage throwback. to uh, those who came before yes, us. giving our love to the former news directors. <laughs> We're also joined in studio by our local reporter, Mia Sawaya. And then we have a special guest, Pride Center Director Dora Frias. Am mm-hmm. I saying that right? Yes. Awesome. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks and, for having me. Yeah, of course. And we have her on the show. Today is National Coming Out Day here at, well, everywhere but we're celebrating it especially here at kcsu and just as a reminder we're inviting any listeners who want to share their stories or just provide support to the community to call 970-491-5278 and we would love to either have you on the air or have you in for just a recorded not live segment if you don't feel comfortable with that so just know listeners that we are open here and we are here for you so, um, Dora, could you just tell us, for our listeners who aren't familiar with National Coming Out Day, kind of what it is, how it came about, and all that stuff? Yeah. So, National Coming Out Day is celebrated in the U.S. on October 11th. We This year is actually the 30th anniversary of National Coming Out Day. Okay. So, in 1987 was the National March on Washington for Lesbian and Gay Rights. And then in 1980 is when we officially recognize... Um, National Coming Out Day on the same day that that march happened. Okay. Um, so really, we recognize coming out as the biggest tool that queer f- and trans folks have as a form of liberation. Um, and so it is a it is a day for folks to be proud of who they are, be authentic in their identities, and um, it's a it's a time for celebration for us, right? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, just for those who don't know. Is it the proper term LGBTQA T or plus or how, what should we say? Yeah. So I don't. There is no right one. I think a lot of different folks use um, a variety of different iterations of LGBTQA plus LGBTQ LGBTQIA. It just really depends on. Um, the community. That's why we at the Pride Resource Center have kind of moved to the Pride Resource Center. The for me, the second we start kind of naming the letters is is we start excluding folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the LGBTQ community is a good like um, umbrella term to use, and that doesn't also honor everybody. Mm-hmm. Now you're the director at the Pride Center here at CSU. Can yes. you sort of tell our listeners who might not be familiar with the Pride Center, um, so, sort of what exactly the Pride Center does, what its mission is? Mm-hmm. So a big part of our mission is to work to support the experiences of our LGBT students at the CSU campus. Uh, a big part of that comes with increasing understanding about our sexual orientations, gender identities, romantic orientation, some of that comes through educational programs. Some of that goes through programming. Some of that happens, right? Today we were out on the plaza all day, kind of just in celebration, taking pictures with the closet, uh, handing out giveaways, and then answering questions as folks have have questions. So we do a lot of things to um, increase our visibility on campus, but also advocate and support our students here. Mm-hmm. 
What are some of the ways you do support students who come in and are looking for help? So sometimes that's a one-on-one conversation, right? A student might just need to talk through, you know, how do I tell my parents about my identity? Uh, A student might, you know, might be needing to explore ways to transition. And so we connect them with the health network in order to begin to explore what those options might look like for them. Somebody might need uh, support telling their professors about their pronouns or about their gender identity. And we provide kind of that, that support in helping students navigate the campus community and just life in general. Mm-hmm. The I think other things that we've also got um, the health, health Network is a great partner for us. We've got a coming out group that uh, meets on a weekly basis. We've got a gender identity group that also meets on a weekly basis over at the Health Network. So th- that's a n- different way that we provide student support as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you mentioned sort of earlier that, uh, you know, the second you start trying to label like the the proper pronoun, LGBTQ, so, so on and so forth, um, sort of uh, can exclude people, what are some of the steps that the Pride Center and CSU are taking to be a more inclusive organization? Mm -hmm. Um. So we're doing a lot. Uh, (laughs) So moving moving our name to the Pride Resource Center is a step in acknowledging that language is always evolving. Uh, But we're working currently with administration to think about how do we begin to provide an opportunity for students to self-identify, to gather gender identity uh, information a little more expansively than we currently are, to ask students, hey, if you want to share your sexual orientation with us, we want you to share that information with us so that we know how to better support you. Currently, we don't have a sense of how many students we have on our campus that identify within our community. Uh, and then we can't pro- outreach to them. And so we have to rely on um, folks kind of stumbling upon our center or just finding out about it through other venues for us to uh, provide that outreach or support. So those are some of the things that we're doing within the center to be more inclusive. I think CSU as a campus community uh has done a lot, right? Providing all gender housing um, options for students. Our health network, again, um, student health insurance provides access for students who want to transition. It supports those transition, part of that transition services, if that's something that students want. Those are not things that all campuses across the nation provide. So I think that's something that definitely benefits us towards inclusion here. Mm -hmm. What would your advice be for those who want to come out but aren't sure how to go about it? Mm -hmm. I think honoring whatever steps you're feeling like you need to take for yourself. There is no coming out for dummies book, (laughs) right? There is no right way to come out. There is only a way that, like, feels authentic for you. And I think a variety of folks do it in different ways. So really tuning into what is it that feels right for you and and recognizing that um, as folks in the LGBT community, coming out is an everyday process. It's not something that we do once and it's done. Every time we enter a new community, we have to come out. Every time we meet a new person, we have to come out. So it's not something that just happens once and then it's done, right? It is a constant iteration. Um, You know, uh, as my partner and I are thinking about purchasing a house, it's something that we have to think about coming out to a realtor. So it is a constant navigation for us in our lives, and there really is no right or wrong way to do it, just really thinking about what is authentic to you and feels right for you. Mm And uh, I guess in a a similar vein, uh, since it is National Coming Out Day, would you mind sort of sharing your story? It's sort of been something we've been doing here, and uh, we'd love to hear it. Mm -hmm. So I remember the very first time I thought, oh, my gosh, that's me. Um, I was 19. I was a first-year student in college, and I went to a um, women's Final Four game, which is pretty much like a lesbian convention (laughs) and I remember seeing these two beautiful women holding hands and thought oh my gosh that's what I want in my life it was something that had never crossed my mind but it's because I also never had that representation right I didn't have folks in the media that look like me um, that identified like me or like I wanted to identify and so 
that was really the first time that I saw like a potential like grown up that that could be who I wanted to be. Uh, and then it took me a few months to to really work through the internal feelings about it. Um, a lot of coming out stories sometimes happen with meeting somebody that sparks your interest, and certainly that's a part of my story as well. Uh, and then about a year later after that, I, I came out to my family, and my family was incredibly supportive of, of my experience. I have a gay uncle, and um, he is somebody that has always been in my life. Nobody ever explicitly talked about it, but we all just kind of knew. And so I'm, I'm blessed to kind to have had that example in my life growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's I had a, a very supportive coming out experience with my family and with internally with myself. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't who aren't as lucky and don't have a supportive family, what would your advice be to help them get through that? Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of way to ways to find community. I think one of the things we often um, talk about in our community is the concept of chosen family. Uh, and the reason that concept has kind of come about is is for folks whose families aren't supportive that we also have an opportunity to choose who our kind of family is, and that often happens through friendships with folks. I think students nowadays have online ways of creating family. There's all kinds of support that students find with each other online. Certainly coming into our center is a great way to do some of that, begin to get plugged into student organizations. Um, And then we've also got all kinds of faculty and staff on campus that are here and are supportive and um, will provide students whatever support it is that they they need. And we also have to recognize that you know, that familial support, it like chosen family is important to have and that having that familial support is is really critical. Um, and not oh, not everybody always has it, but there all are lots of opportunities to try and find that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for somebody who, who might know someone going through a process like that, what are some tips that you might have for them to be an ally uh, to somebody in a situation like this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If somebody's coming out to you, you definitely don't want to tell them, oh, it's okay, I already knew, right? Because that is a super minimizing um, way of going about it. You want to listen, you want to ask questions, and you want to be supportive of of that person if they are coming out to you. Um, If you identify within the community, great, then you can kind of share in your experiences. If you don't identify within the community, then I think it's still important to to support them, to not be dismissive, to not tell somebody it's a phase, to not be like, oh, don't worry, you'll get over this, uh, because that's not that's not, we don't just get over this, right? It is who we are. Um, we've got really high rates of um, mental health issues in our community. We've got high rates of suicide. And and a lot of the dismissiveness that can come as folks are coming out can kind of lead to some of this. So um, I think it's really important that if somebody is coming out to you, that you do your best to be supportive and ask them what they need in their process. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else that you feel is important for people to know on National Coming Out Day or anything else you'd like to add? Mm-hmm. Um, I think anything, especially right now, kind of given the nas- our national climate, right? Anything that folks can do to, to serve as allies for our community is super important and incredibly necessary uh, right now. And so that, that can mean like could be a variety of different things that people can do. It can be, you know, showing up to events like we had today. It could be talking one-on-one with somebody and having a supportive conversation. Um, So whatever you can do within your sphere of influence to show up as an ally for your community, we we need that support. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That was Dora Frias, Pride Center Director. And remember, KCSU listeners, if you would like to share your story with us on air or if you would just like to voice support for this day and for the community, please give us a call at 970-491-5278. That's 970-491-KCSU. We would love to hear from you. And welcome 
back to 90.5 KCSU's news talk show, The Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU. I'm J.D. Layton. I am joined in studio by the other news director. I'm Emily Moshak. As well as our local reporter. That's me, Mia Sawaiya. And uh, I think we're going to dive right into news. Starting with local news, former presidential candidate Bernie Sanders will be will host a get out and vote event in Fort Collins and Boulder in late October, reports Nick Coltrane of the Coloradan. Details about the event, which will be held on October 24th, will be released at a later date. Sanders, who ran left, who ran left of former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in 2016 primaries, will visit Colorado in support of Democratic gubernatorial candidate. Jared Polis. Sanders beat Clinton in the Colorado primaries 3-2 to two across the state with a greater margin in Larimer County. Polis represents Fort Collins and Boulder in the House of Representatives and signed on to a Medicare for All bill similar to the ones supported by Senator Sanders. Republican candidate Walker, Walker Stapleton said Stan, Sanders' support is proof Polis... It, Polis is the most radical gubernatorial candidate in Colorado history by joining forces with a self-proclaimed democratic socialist. Polis responded in a tweet citing Tom Tancredo, endorsement of Stapleton Tancredo, who is a former congressman, post anti-Muslim content online and sat on the board of a group which Republican Representative Mike Kaufman characterized as a white supremacist organization. Walker responded, saying an endorsement doesn't mean the candidate agrees with all of their views. And elections are on November 6th, right? Yes. Am I correct? And I know a lot of voter coverage increased, actually. There was that story about Taylor Swift told people to go vote, and I think it increased by like 65,000 votes or something like that. That's crazy. Which is pretty ridiculous. I think Chance the Rapper did that, too, last year. Oh, did he? Yeah, in Chicago. He had like a whole bunch of people... Or no, not last year. When the like 2016 the oh, presidential yeah, election. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was crazy. I know that is crazy. Yeah. Swifties. Now it's our turn, and we <laughs> hope to see equally as large numbers <laughs> for voter turnout. So register to vote. Register to vote. You'll find everyone helping you do that. Almost everywhere in Fort Collins. <laughs> it's yeah, they'll 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 hassle you. <laughs> yes, but in a good way. It's for a good cause and for a good country. All right, take it away, Mia. GoPuff is a delivery retail service which was started in 2013 by Drexel University students. The service charges $1.95 for the deliveries, for all deliveries under $49, and is now in Fort Collins, according to the Coloradoan. From the college student at 2 a.m. or the mom stuck at home who ran out of milk and eggs, says Liz Romaine, as she expl- or Liz Romaine explains uh, that Gov- um, sorry, that GoPuff is a service anybody can use. The items available for delivery are stored in a warehouse in Fort Collins and can be delivered between noon and 4 a.m. So far, 9 p.m. through midnight is the most popular delivery time. Some of the top items on GoPuff are Hot Cheetos and Cowtail Caramel Candies. You can get Cowtails delivered to your door. I don't even know what that is, but apparently you can. They're delicious, and there's about no way I'm ever leaving my home now because (laughs) I can have all my favorite (laughs) snacks. It seems like this is very retail to college students. I've never even heard of those before. You don't see the ads on Snapchat all the time? Just harassing you to order food? I just tap. Tap, 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 tap. Do everything. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. But we have... I don't want to see it. (laughs) We have a special segment regarding new parking issues on the... uh, a mountain, not the mountain campus. It's the Foothills campus, Parking. the Foothills, Foothills campus. Foothills there campus. we go. For CSU by Emma Yacone. So keep that dial locked. For years, parking at the CSU Foothills campus has been relatively easy, but it will soon be transitioning to permit parking in August. CSU officials met with people using the lots to find out how to make the transition as easy as possible. We've been out there to gather more information from the folks who work out there about what their business is, what their business needs are, uh, what some of their personal needs are as it relates to either parking out there or getting to and from the campus. Paying for a service that used to be free isn't likely to be a popular move, but facilities management says that the need for upkeep outweighs the convenience of free parking. While there is no um, permit parking, there also is no, uh, largely no mechanism to maintain uh, parking lots and keep them uh, well lit and then provide the uh, same accommodation you'd have on main campus. 
The Foothills campus doesn't have as many conveniences as the main campus. There's only one public transit bus route that travels to the Foothills campus once an hour. Officials say that increasing public transit is an option, but it would be tailored specifically to the Foothills campus needs. Is a transport type service the best one out for that location or do we need to look at other transportation options that might give, lend more flexibility and more, uh, more increased service? At this time, the final plan to convert to a paid lot isn't in place. Once the details are hammered out, the public will have more input to hopefully make the Foothills campus parking transition as smooth as possible. I'm confident that whatever is deployed out of Foothills campus will have, uh, will have options just like there are on main campus. It's not to say that they're going to be the same options. They may be tailored to the unique needs of Foothills campus. That was that was interesting. I didn't quite realize that they were, you know, going to start charging for that. And I didn't realize that it was also free in the first place. And the fact that there's only one bus line out to the Foothills campus, it seems a bit ridiculous because there is a substantial amount of ag students who need to get out there for their classes and things like that. Yeah, that's definitely not the ideal situation, but I can't say I'm surprised as much as I love this university. I wouldn't say parking is our strong suit. Definitely not. I, I've i heard a rumor floating around somewhere that they're definitely trying to get rid of parking, t- making CSU a car-free campus. What? How would that even <laughs> no. be possible? No. I don't understand. What happens when you wake up late and you can't take the bus? Or if it's snowing and you don't want to walk. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that's no, crazy. Ew. No, whoever came up with that idea. Well, I, I Call don't in think... 970-491-5278 because I want to talk to you. <laughs> I'm not okay with that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yikes. Well, anyway, in other Fort Collins news, the Fort Collins City Council has ruled that a local church will be able to keep its lockers for the homeless, but now with added restrictions, reports CBS4 Denver. The decision whether or not to keep the lockers, along with the changes made, was voted on on Tuesday. The biggest change is that the lockers will no longer be open 24 hours. People will now only be able to access them for a two-hour period between 6 and 8 in the morning. A church supervisor is required to be on site during these hours. The new restrictions put in place are due to complaints from neighbors near the church who expressed safety concerns about the lockers. The lockers can be found at the Fort Collins Mennonite Church. According to the Denver Channel, there are currently 11 lockers available to those who are homeless for a period of three months at a time. You must apply to use a locker and consent to video surveillance and search of the lockers at any time. The church also serves a hot meal to the homeless on Fridays. And Mia, didn't you do a piece on this for your daily newscast? I did. That was very interesting. It's I don't really understand why they had to change it, but I do understand that there's a lot of security concerns it, with that. It seems like very inopportune times to have like to access you know something that's supposed to be an area to keep your stuff safe especially if yeah. you don't have the opportunity to keep things safe all that often so i'm i'm sort of like hmm something's afoot here yeah it definitely seems a little excessive in one of the articles i was reading they said there were claims which were unconfirmed by the way so no not verified at all but that um there were drugs and prostitution problems going on at the yeah lockers. i also read something like there was an increase in police calls from the church because of this mm, but okay. nonetheless i don't know i i think it's just cool that it is an availability for homeless people but i do i don't know the restrictions seem a little excessive like yeah, you said i agree i understand the need for some restrictions but 6 to 8 a.m is definitely yeah an odd window but regardless the lockers are still open for those who need it between 6 and 8 a.m at the mennonite church and they do also have a hot meal available for the homeless on fridays well that's nice now, I don't know if y'all have noticed, well, I know Mia has, um, but I don't know if you've noticed, Emily, but there are these new fancy schmancy solar-powered trash cans dotting CSU. I have seen them around. They kind of remind me of, what's his name, R2-D2, the little yes. guy from Star Star Wars. Yes. Yeah, they look like R2-D2. Well, our, our fancy schmancy R2-D2 trash cans, I've, I've been a little curious, and I know Mia has as well, and she's actually gone and dived in to tell us a little more. And we have that coming up next, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
few weeks ago, the Integrated Solid Waste Program introduced new solar panel trash cans to the CSU campus. I contacted Sheila Bakken, the Integrated Solid Waste Program Manager, for further insight into how the idea came to be and how these trash cans are improving campus. The idea to introduce these solar panel bins to campus was inspired by their success at Georgia State University. Sheila explains that their door-like lid helps the material stay inside the bins, which keeps campus cleaner. The trash and recycling bins also have an electronic mechanism that will compact the material inside, allowing the bins to be emptied less frequently. When the bins are full, an email is sent to Sheila's department, and the amount of material in the bins can be seen online. The solar panels on top of the bins help provide energy to run the crushing and email mechanisms. Sheila explains that these trash cans are worth the investment as they have made her department more efficient. So far, these bins require emptying around once a week, contrary to the three times a week required without the compacting mechanism. Also, the ground section of Sheila's department has benefited since less material is flying out of these trash cans and recycling bins. Since recycling can be complicated, Sheila shared some tips to simplify the concept. She explained that only recycling materials you know are accepted can prevent incorrect recycling. It is better to not recycle an item than to incorrectly recycle it. Some items to avoid recycling are styrofoam, as it is financially demanding for recycling centers, and plastic bags. She also mentioned that plastics numbered 3, 6, or 7, like Red Solo cups, are not currently accepted in recycling bins. While the trash and recycling bins on campus have been upgraded by this project, composting seems to have been left out. However, an ongoing project Sheila mentioned brought composting into the discussion. In the near future, there will be a bin in the CSU bathrooms specifically for paper towels, which can be composted. There will then be a separate bin for regular trash. Sheila also mentioned plans to expand composting services to our Foothill and South campuses within the next few years. All in all, the new bins on campus are making the integrated solid waste program more effective, allowing them to focus on future projects like expanding our composting services. Thank you, Sheila Bakken, for the interview, and thank you for listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Mia Sawaya. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. That was a a special segment by our very own Mia Sawaya. I'm J.D. Layton, and I'm joined in studio by Emily Moshek. Yes, and thank you, Mia, for that great segment about our special new recycling trash cans. Recycling trash cans. Well, they're not. They're just just trash. They're just trash. trash They send emails. These trash cans are smarter than... Than me for the most part <laughs> and yeah, i'm sure they don't even panic when they see reply all i know <laughs> yeah right i know but yeah that is definitely very cool so thank you for exploring that mia and for our listeners who don't know mia has been doing a series of recycling beats for this show so if you're interested in learning a lot more about Fort Collins or just recycling in general and how that works and how you can help your environment, be sure to tune into the review because we'll have a lot of Mia's segments or check out our website at kcsufm.com because we also have her segments up there as well. And on that note, I think we're going to take a quick break before we dive into national news. Only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am J.D. Layton, one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU. I'm joined in studio by the other news director. I'm Emily Moshak. As well as our very own local reporter. That's me, Mia Swale. And uh, we've got some national news yeah, coming up right now. From for, our local for reporter. <laughs> for, from our very own local reporter talking on national topics. She's local national Mia Swale. <laughs> okay. Weed killers have been a problem for Middle Eastern states and the U.S. this summer. The problem started when Monsanto created a weed killer called dicamba, according to KUNC. Dicamba only works for new varieties of soybean and cotton crops and will ruin most other crops. This characteristic quickly became problematic as the weed killer occasionally blew onto neighboring crops. The damage of the drifting dicamba was most prevalent in Arkansas, and the pesticide is now banned countrywide. 
The ban is only in place each year after April 15th to prevent usage during the, the growing season. So for the first four months of the year, dicamba can be used freely. Some farmers have ignored the ban, which has prompted state inspectors to investigate instances of illegal spraying. Fines for illegal spraying can be up to $25,000 per violation. Some farmers viewed dicamba as their last hope for effectively killing weeds as their crops have grown, uh, have grown resistant to other weed killers. Um, other farmers claim that there are other ways to have successful crops and think that the volatile weed killer should not be used. Hurricane Michael, the first ever Category 4 storm to hit the Florida Panhandle, has made landfall. The eye of the storm is moving inland over the Florida Panhandle east of Panama City, and life-threatening storm surges as well as catastrophic winds continue, according to the National Hurricane Center. It is currently moving northeast at 15 miles per hour, and the maximum sustained speed has been recorded at 150 miles per hour as of this morning. A state of emergency has been declared in parts of Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, and evacuations have been issued by local authorities, reports the New York Times. Weather forecasters and government officials are particularly worried about the storm surge, which could reach up to 13 feet in some areas. This region of the country is vulnerable to the storm surge because of its flatness and proximity to sea level. At this time, scientists are still examining the relation to climate change and storm intensity, but some elements of global warming have been observed in areas such as increased storm surge and rainfall. Hurricane Michael spent nine hours inland as a hurricane before weakening to a tropical storm in central Georgia, reports CBS News for Mobile, Alabama. It will move into Virginia by this evening as a much weaker storm system. Jeez, so many so many storms and hurricanes in the, the the southeast region of the u.s i just my heart goes out to them that's a lot to deal with and they're super devastating if you i don't know if you've seen any of the pictures of some of the stuff that's coming in but there's just like towns that are flattened in florida i know it is really unfortunate and i guess my hope is just that everyone is able to evacuate safely and not have to endure too much damage and if you were listening to the show on thursday um, we had the executive director of the Northern Colorado American Red Cross come, and while she was talking about it being Fire Prevention Week, she also mentioned that Red Cross is doing what they can to help with the hurricane, and that if you would like, you can go to AmericanRedCross.org and find out how you can help. Right. And in other national news, a Missouri judge has ruled that the state election officials can no longer advertise or spread materials requiring an ID to vote, reports Emily Sullivan of NPR. The ruling challenges part of Missouri's voter ID law, which was established in 2016 with a Missouri constitutional amendment. In his ruling, Missouri Judge Richard Callahan stated, No compelling state interest is served by misleading local election authorities and voters into believing a photo ID card is a requirement for voting. The ruling also forbids officials from requiring voters to sign a sworn statement to cast a ballot when they do not have a photo ID, with Judge Callahan stating it infringes on citizens' rights to vote. Missouri is one of 34 states that has such voter ID laws. A man was stabbed in a Tennessee haunted house when an employee allegedly provided a real knife, reports Mariah Timms of the Tennessean. James J. Yochim, 29, was visiting a haunted house attraction by Nashville Nightmare in Tennessee with a group of friends when they began to talk with a man inside one of the four haunted houses on the campus. Quote, we've been chased by chainsaws, holding other weapons, and all kinds of stuff that night, and it was all fake, Yoakum said. Yoakum said his friends and the man were joking around when the man handed his, knife, his friend a knife and encouraged the friend to stab him in response to his scorning joke. Yoakum said they thought it was a prop knife, and the friend stabbed him in the arm. Yoakum said he remembers a deep stab in his forearm, and the man saying, oh, I didn't know my, narf, my knife was that sharp, and the friend was bawling. The Nashville Nightmare organize, organizers and Yoakum confirmed that visitors are sent through a metal detector and thoroughly checked uh, and searched for weapons before entering the haunted house. Nashville, Nashville Nightmare has been placed on suspension for providing the knife. No charges have been filed. 
That's like actually a haunted house nightmare. That that's yeah. like the plot of uh, of that movie that's come out. What is it like Hellfest or whatever, where the dude like murders people in a haunted house and everybody's like, oh, what the? I haven't heard about that, but that scares me. I have seen posters for that movie, but I did not know that that was the subject matter. Yeah, so obviously this isn't the, the actual like that's just like an unfortunate accident. Like somehow a prop probably got you know flip flopped around, but still. That stuff's scary. That is. Especially in the Halloween season. Like, everybody's all spooky. I don't need to be actually stabbed because nobody's going to know I'm actually stabbed. Who's going to think I'm trying to be spooky? Yeah. I know. That like is. Every Halloween is just weird. Like, wasn't there, weren't there clowns last year or whatever? Yes. Yeah. Like, every year there's just, recently it seems like it's just I've heard like actually being they're scary. They're coming back. Look, I've, he- I've heard the clowns Can are back. Can they just stay away? This is a public service announcement from me, Soya. Yes. Please <laughs> don't come to Fort Collins, yes. clowns. Get um, out of here. Stay away. We don't like you. We do not like you. <laughs> and on that PSA note from our very own Mia Soya, I think we are going to take a quick break before we dive into a special interview segment from our very own Julia Battalise, the former news director here at KCSU, with... The owner of the Alley Cat. If you've ever been curious as to what's going on there, you're about to get an inside scoop. Only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I sat down with Hunter Horsfall, manager at Alley Cat, to see what attracts people to this specific coffee shop when there are so many others to choose from in Fort Collins. I wanted to know first, from Hunter's perspective, what drives so many students to Alley Cat? I think probably what most drives the students to Alley Cat is one that we never close. Um, we're always here and open. Uh, but I think that the Alley Cat is really a pretty solid reflection of our Fort Collins community as a whole. All of our ceiling tiles, obviously, are done by different artists. Monthly, we do an art show, 100% of the proceeds of which goes to the artist that's hanging artwork. This month's artist has actually, I think, sold out all of his art already. I think it's the, the feeling of free expressionism being kind of unconstrained here. Uh, I think it's just kind of the feeling that this place is constantly transforming. It never stays the same for too, too long. We like to do all of our project stuff like off peak hours so that you can come in one day and see the space one way and then the next day, you know, it might have fully transformed overnight. Um, yeah, and I think that's really what the space is about, is, is about uh, our community and I think it's just a very natural common ground for people. One thing that I have always been interested about is how to add to Alley Cat's collection of decorated ceiling tiles and Hunter had a pretty simple answer. Periodically, we'll decide to take a handful of ceiling tiles down. You know, some that have been up for a while or some older ones, we get some new ones. And people are fairly consistently asking about them. I just really, really stress to people that I would love for them to bring the ceiling tiles back. And um, yeah, we just give them out. And, and then people paint them and bring them back. And right now, we're, we're in the process of filling the patio up. We've got, I want to say, most of the ceiling tiles done at this point. So a handful more out there to fill. We've had pretty good luck with people. I think. A lot of people really love the space, and so they, it's natural for them to rise to the occasion and really really put extra effort in. In fact, on the patio, there's a couple pieces that I know were a lot of hours. One in particular, this fellow Jay painted, or excuse me, it was colored pencil and ink. He put 160 hours into that piece. Yeah, it's all little tiny shapes, and there's supposed to be a hidden cat in there. People are always looking for the cat. Yeah, so I think it's just one of those things where people really meet meet the alley cat at the level it's at and try and improve the art here. I think that's most people's goal when they see the ceiling. And so, yeah, never really had much of a problem with that. I was also wondering, after spending some time in alley cat, does Hunter consider it more of a study spot or a hangout spot? When I started coming here, I felt like it was more of a hangout place. Lately, it feels maybe a little more like a study place, but I think it kind of depends on the time of the year. And I think most people who are here, like, quote unquote, studying, also come here with the recognition that they're probably going to have some good conversations with some strangers. I think most people here are fairly social, you know, because of the environment. It's, it's not your typical quiet study spot. But I would say that on, on any given day during the school year, it, there's going to be a lot of students here. Over the summertime, I think it tends to be more of a hangout for local Fort Collins people. It's really interesting seeing the demographic change. Like, we have a lot of people who start coming in during summertime, hang out all summer. And then I won't really see much of them around again until the next summer, just because we're so busy. You know, I would say, on average, I, I, when I see someone sit down to get some studying, I, I see anywhere between like two and five hours, I feel like. There's some people that it looks like, I feel like spend more time here than I do. We've got our handful of people that come and go throughout the day. It, it kind of depends, you know. Definitely a lot of people who are, you know, cramming for tests and whatnot. During that, that sort of time period, it feels a lot more packed in here. A little less turnover, I feel like. 
Something that makes Alley Cat really stand out is the fact that it is open 24-7. I was curious to know what sparked the idea for having it always open and if it has always been that way. I think it's always been 24 hours. I know Mark opened it with the intention of being 24 hours and it's supposedly not closed since we opened, um, I, which I, I think maybe maybe a day in there at some point. Uh, I know it hasn't closed since I've been manager. It's just nonstop open. So I don't even think we have locks on our doors. We can't, we can't close. So I think it was more just for the idea um, of 24-7 places and, and what sort of uh, kind of cross-section of a community you, you find there. I mean, um, you know, I've had talks with so many different interesting people, people who are traveling, uh, people who are students, you know. Um, I, I feel like what's fascinating to me is like you typically think of a student demographic here. We have a lot of older customers who've been coming here for years that I see every day. Um, and so I think it's just, it feels really enriching to be able to interact with that kind of diverse cross-section. Um, and I think any place that has sort of a common ground feel, people with very different viewpoints, um, different backgrounds, different ages, you know, different vocations, all sharing a space and, you know, more often than not, and they end up socializing. I think there are certain elements of an environment that lend themselves to making it feel social. Um, having a handful of communal tables and things like that kind of breaks down some of those barriers. But yeah, there's sort of a momentum that comes with being open for that long. You know, you're always sort of picking up where someone else left off and then vice versa, ending your shift and someone's picking up where you're leaving off. I feel like it creates a very palpable sort of momentum. Something that we in Fort Collins really put an emphasis on is working to support local companies. That is something that Hunter told me Alley Cat tries their best to incorporate frequently in their shop. One of our old, old customers going way back, this, this lady Jackie, roasts all of our coffee here in town at Jackie's Java. And in my opinion, I'm seldom happy with coffee I get elsewhere. And I'm not like a coffee snob by any means, but her medium roast Poudre Riverland is just the best drip coffee I've ever had in my life. So yeah, it's interesting. We A lot of our food is made in-house. So we make, from drinks to food actually, so we make our chai in-house, our spice chai in-house, all of our baked goods are made in-house. It's a lot of stuff. It's I, I would say that predominantly our prepped goods are prepped here. And then, yeah, we do try and source as much as we can locally when when applicable. We get a lot of our spices from like Savory Spice Shop and um, some of our teas we have to order from other states and things like that. But yeah. My last question to Hunter was how he personally would describe Alley Cat to someone who might be new to town and hasn't heard of it. It's always been for me kind of a place where magic happens. I, I just think back over the years, the number of little chance encounters I've had with people or conversations I've had at two or three in the morning, those are really things that kind of capture the spirit of the place for me. It's constantly changing. And, you know, I, I would say that, you know, our big thing is we always want to make sure that people coming here leave happier than they would have been if they hadn't stopped in. And, and I think that the baristas here really, they stand behind that goal as well. To just make sure it's a welcoming environment for everyone. And then we're always here, you know, so always open, welcoming environment. Maybe that, that would probably about, about summarize it for me. I'm Julia Battalise with the Rocky Mountain Review, and this has been a local special feature only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. As Julia Battalise stated, that has, that was a local special feature where she sat down with the manager of Alley Cat and sort of got to give us some details about it. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm joined in studio by... Emily Mashak. As well as our local reporter... Mia Sawayo. Yes. So thank you to Julia for that piece. And for those who don't know, Alley Cat, as she said, is a local 24-7 coffee shop we have here near the CSU campus. I, uh, now Collins. that I know, you can take the ceiling tiles and paint them and make them your own. I feel like we got to get in there, get a, a Rocky Mountain Review ceiling tile up on the uh, up on the that wall. That would be so cool. Or like that just would a KCSU one. Yeah, really no, sick. in general. Well, yeah, but it's it's ours. It's the Rocky oh, Mountain true, Reviews. True. In, in case you can't anything. <laughs> no, no, no. This is my idea. This is, this is ours. <laughs> that would actually be really cool. I mean, I would definitely look at it. I've spent so many hours at there, like 3 a.m. doing homework, just oh, staring yeah. at the ceiling. <laughs> You're like dead-brained. It's nice to be able to look up and uh, sort of see something worthwhile. I I'm know. definitely going to keep my eyes out for that cat in the geometric drawing features that some dude spent 160 hours on. I wish I had 160 hours to spend on a painting. Same. 
Yeah, but we're in college, so that does not happen. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you to Julia for that lovely piece, but she's not done yet as our former news director and our new, not really new anymore. She's our our station manager. Our station manager. We love Julia. But she's also did a special music segment on a band that we had in our rotation called Thin Lips, and the singer is openly out, which is perfect for National Coming Out Day. Again, reminding you, for those who just tuned in, that KCSU is going to be celebrating National Coming Out Day all day, and we are here to take your calls and hear your story if you want to share your own coming out story. And just a reminder, you don't have to say your name if you don't feel comfortable identifying yourself. You can be totally anonymous and just get that out there. Or you can also just call in if you would like to express your support for the community and identify yourself as an ally. We would love to hear from you. And in that vein, Julia has that special music segment highlighting another queer artist in the community. So we'll have that up for you next. The band Thin Lips is a trio led by queer artist Chrissy Tajin, and they released their third studio album in July of this year called Chosen Family. Tajin, also the lead singer in Hop Along, explained that the album cover for Chosen Family features a montage of 42 of Thin Lips's closest friends, which Tajin said was supposed to look like a, quote, gay Sgt. Pepper. The music itself on the album frequently showcases Thin Lips' relatable nature of their lyrics and nice surf punk tunes especially in the 12th track on the album, What If I Saw You on the Street. What if I saw you on the street? In an interview with Noisy, Tajin touches on how this album covers a bunch of different topics, like ex-girlfriends, her brother dying, doubting yourself, vulnerability, and how it is for her to live as, quote, a homo and a butch woman in a world that's not great for being either of those things. She touches on some of these subjects in a slower jam off of Chosen Family called What's So Bad About Being Lonely? The first track on the album, named after the title of the album, Chosen Family, is a short spoken word intro where Tajin describes a toxic woman in her life that convinced her that being gay was a negative. Tajin said the woman made her, quote, feel so crazy and like everything was her fault. This intro leads into their second song on the album, where Tajin said that she channeled that feeling of being crazy. All the emotions she felt from that experience can be heard in that second track, Gaslight Anthem, the song, not the band. This has been your Rocky Mountain music segment. For the Rocky Mountain Review, I'm Julia Batalise, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am JD Late, and I am joined in studio by. Emily Moshek. As well as... Mia Sawaya. 
And that was a music segment on Thin Lips by our very own Julia Battleese. If y'all have been a regular listener of the Rocky Mountain Review in the past, you will know that that voice is familiar. That was the former news director. She's also our station, station manager. But I know what you are waiting for as of now. It's everybody's favorite part of the show. The weather. Thank you for the chorus. That is exactly <laughs> what I was hoping for. <laughs> I don't really know why that happened. <laughs> it just kind of came out. In case you didn't know, today was cold and cloudy, and apparently it's going to get rainy, too. So prep yourself for that. I hope you packed an umbrella on this nice and dreary fall day. Definitely feels like Halloween is quickly approaching. I can feel the spook in the air. But Ooh. tomorrow is definitely not going to follow that suit. Prep yourself, because it's return of the summer for two days Friday and Saturday are both going to be almost 60 degrees and plenty of sunshine to come Yay. around right in time for homecoming. So maybe you have your family in town, you want to hang out a little bit outside and enjoy some Colorado weather. Well, it turns out you totally can and it's not going to be cold and sad and dreary and unfun because it'll be toasty until Sunday when it will snow. Because that's the way that Colorado goes. You go from 60 degrees wearing shorts, cruising, to next thing you know, you're dusting off the snow pants and ready to hit the slopes. You wear shorts in 60 degree weather? Yes. <laughs> I get cold after it's like 67. What? <laughs> I don't know. It's chilly. I'm with you. Yeah. I need Y'all, the jeans. I would literally melt. I'd be like, oh, these pants are so hot. <laughs> it, uh. I don't know. Well, I think it maybe it's just like in my head, but for me, like seventy degrees sounds very warm, but sixty nine is like cold because it's in the sixties. That's one degree difference. I know, but it's like it's cold. Y'all are animals. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just weird like that though. I've Even with California for oh, myself. Okay, I'm from North Dakota, so I really should be <laughs> more equipped. But I've gotten used to Colorado's changing climate. <laughs> Anyways, on that note, <laughs> we will be ending this Rocky Mountain Review. Special thanks to everybody who came and helped with us and who also came out for National Coming Out Day. Definitely appreciate your pride and courage in coming out and sharing that with us and using us as a platform for that. Special thanks to Dora Frias of the Pride Center who came in was our interview earlier today, as well as from Mia Sawaya, as well as Katie Otter, Raven Color. Emma Iannacone from CTV for her contribution, as well as Julia Battalise for her pieces that she did for us today. And again, we just want to remind you that if you would like to share your story or show support on air, give us a call at 970-491-5278. And as Dora mentioned earlier, the Pride, or the Pride Center is always a resource for you on the CSU campus if you need that. And thank you, Emily. Well, thanks. Thank you, J.D. And on that note, we are going to dive right back in to the music with honestly, I love you. I I honestly love you. <laughs> let me let me let me I thought you were talking to the listeners for a second and I was oh, like, "Oh, I, I wow. do love you listeners." Katie's uh, it's, getting deep. <laughs> you you are my muse and my motivation in life. You <laughs> listeners listening deep to this and keep on listening to I Honestly Love You by Juliana Hatfield only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins <laughs>